Hi everybody, this is Matt Kirby and welcome to a brand new episode of Groupie and Harmony, a podcast all about music. I'm really excited for today's episode. I know normally I do on the weekends, but today is the surprise little weekday episode because it's the last day of Women's History Month and I am finally ready for my Women's History Month special. It will be kind of similar to my Black History Month special um, in which it's going to be a lot longer one, probably will be a little bit over the top. But I think it is a little bit more organized than what ended up being, in my opinion, a mess of an episode, unfortunately. Um, I think I've polished up this one, so I think this one will be a little bit better. I'm really excited for this one. Um, before we get into that, though, I have a Facebook page. It's called Groupie and Harmony. Make sure you give that a like, because I post on there whenever I have any updates about the podcast, whenever I have uh, any whenever I release any new episodes or whenever I release any uh whenever I have any blog posts for my music blog feeling groupy so um in the next day or two I will have my blog post for best albums of 2020 that I have long promised it's all written up I just wanted to get this out first and then do this one either the next day or the day after. So be ready for that one to come out really soon. And then I also have another blog that there's a separate Facebook page for called Is Baller Trademarked Yet? That one's all about basketball. Make sure you give that a like. I um, Due to being swamped with work, I haven't posted any... The my last I haven't posted anything since my trade grades for the deadline. But I will have a post coming out soon because... There is a lot in the world of basketball that I want to discuss for both NBA and college as well. So normally I focus on the NBA, but with March Madness going on, there's a lot I want to focus on. There's a lot I want to discuss in college too. So that will be coming out sometime in the next few days. Um, Worst case scenario, will come out over the weekend. Um, But be on the lookout for that. And then I have another one that's related to the... um, I have another one that's related to the upsets with March Madness, so be on the lookout for that one as well. Now, before we get into the Women's History Month, I do want to quickly discuss one topic. Now, at this point, I don't discuss what I consider just drama and this kind of stuff or gossip, anything like that. Because I think I did that like at one point in an earlier episode posted it and just said no never again I was miserable doing that but and I also don't talk about fashion typically because it's not something that interests me but now that there's a lawsuit involved this is intriguing so Lil Nas X has uh, generated some controversy with his uh, with his uh, Satan shoes recently and uh in particular with the Satan shoes. Um, so uh, they're a reworking of a Nike shoe that um, uh, that is like this, like, that has like satanic things in it, themes in it. They have, it's like red and black kind of thing. And also it has uh Excuse me. It also had a drop of blood on it, it's like human blood. 
So Nike has filed a lawsuit and uh, uh, and uh, had a just a few hours ago actually got approved uh, for a temporary restraining order related to these shoes um, for the whole trade the whole thing is related to trademark infringement because basically what they're doing is uh, what tends to be a what is a popular thing in the sneaker world is to like get a shoe rework the shoe and then resell the shoe or even just keep the shoe kind of thing so this one he was doing that and I know that there was a wide there was widespread controversy regarding it and I will say I think there are two there's only in my opinion there's only two reasons that I think that Nike actually filed the lawsuit now I know that there is the it'd be f- um even before that I know even a lot of people were related to saying relate to the lawsuit that um being like oh yeah exactly you can't do that because it's satanic and then other people were like oh yeah you see they're now they're mad about it because um because I saw one all the time like you're saying that we're gonna be like Satan and for being gay now look even Nike suing us it's like no, Nike's not suing you because of that. Nike's suing you for two reasons. First off, the biggest reason I think I truly believe is because they see that these show- shoes are being sold for over a thousand dollar each and are making a profit with it. So now, and that's the that's a bigger re- that's the biggest reason. And and I truly believe that in most cases that they honestly would have considered working with them uh, working with Lil Nas X to get a cut of that money honestly I think though that a big part of it is because of the fact that there is the is that the human blood is involved I think that's the biggest reason that they didn't get involved and the second reason for the lawsuit because that just because of all the negative press related to that and and I mean really it is because I don't think it's because if it wasn't selling like crazy, I don't think that there would have been a lawsuit with that. Um, I mean, I know that Fox News is, for instance, and a lot of conservatives are going crazy with that. But then again, also, they also, uh, I think that most of those people are just going crazy because they can and have, uh, and are just using it to fuel the fuel fire, especially considering that uh, a few years ago they were making a big deal of, and were boycotting when, uh, Nike supported Colin Kaepernick. And even as times have changed since then, and now they try to change, there's been a lot of people trying to change the narrative of, well, maybe he would still have a job if he could play. Well, you weren't sure as hell weren't saying that then. I don't want to get too much into that because I don't really care about football and this is a music podcast. But anyways, I truly believe that I think the lawsuit is more so about the fact that they saw how much money that Lil Nas X was making for using a, a Nike brand, a Nike shoe that was that a Nike shoe that wasn't affiliated with, for a shoe that wasn't affiliated with Nike, and frankly, I saw images of it. They didn't try to get rid of the Nike shoe or the Nike logo. The Nike logo is still on that, so it's still associated with Nike. Um, so at that point, they're not getting a cut on a shoe that has the Nike logo on it. So it's trademark infringement. And since, especially since it will be selling well, I'm not one bit surprised. Anyways. 
Now, um, let's get into Women's History Month. So, I know for the last, when I did Black History Month, I had just dove into talk, talked about so many different artists. I did like a rapid fire kind of thing. This will be similar to that because I do have a lot of artists that I want to discuss and I'm going to do kind of a rapid fire thing. But I think one thing that I really miss was missing about it that I really, in retrospect, I wish I had done at the time. It's something that I'm going to do here with, uh, in terms of women in music, which is really just discussing the impact for uh, the impact of, in the case of Black History Month, I really should have, I, the following episode I discussed the impact of, um, of uh, black musicians, which, because they're so, they were so essential, because I mean, African American culture and music and musicians is frankly essential to music as we know it. And I want to do something similar, or something similar for, uh, excuse me, for Women's History Month. Now, as for, um, as for, uh, women in music, I think for years they have, uh, women have been largely underrepresented and overlooked a lot of times and have been, have often been reduced to the role of singer. And that really isn't, frankly, isn't fair to a, to a lot of women who historically have been incredible musicians. Because, you know, for instance, like, jazz music, there have been historically a substantial amount of jazz musicians who are vocalists, but very few historically who are instrumentalists. And a lot of times when those who are, and a lot of times when you do have a woman who's an instrumentalist, either they're on a big name or they have to be like a absolutely fantastic musician to even get some recognition. And um, and I think that a lot also a lot of times like you have there are a good number of incredible song female songwriters. The issue though is that they often don't get a they often don't get a ton of credit. Because you no, know, for instance, I've discussed um Tracy Chapman in the past. I truly think that she is one of the best one of the best songwriters of all time, and one of, I would say because my but she is in my top, my big three for female songwriters. And she, no one, very few talk about her in that same regard. And same thing with, like, Carol King. I consider her, because my big three of songwriters overall, Carol King's right in there. Um, but she often is a bit overlooked in that regard. Um, and... Even like in a lot of other, and there are genres like, for instance, you have metal, which pains me because I love metal music, but there are so few female instrumentalists in particular in like mainstream bands. There are there are some that you do see some that are uh, that are making waves and are starting to rise, but. Even still, the number of female, uh, the number of female, uh, um, instrumentalists are really slim. 
and I mean that's that's really sad to see because I mean you do have like a for instance like a Gina Gleason and Baroness um uh one rising band Tetrarch uh Tetrarch has um has a Diamond Row and both of them are fantastic fantastic musicians with Diamond Row being great guitarist and uh um and uh, Gina Gleason being really underrated bassist but even still it's like most and historically the if there is a a female member of a band they're the vocalist and a lot of times these uh members have been in like bands like that are like symphonic metal for instance and genres of that nature even though which is weird cuz there are some do have a lot of rock musicians on the other hand that are really important in terms of uh in terms of getting allowing women the respect that frankly they deserve um in particular like you do have uh um like punk has had a bunch of uh has a lot of there is a lot of there are a lot of females that did get involved with punk while a lot of them are vocalists you do still have also other bands that do have instrumentalists um like white lung comes to mind for one band that has female instrumentalists instrumentalists they're such a good band but then you did also have the riot girl scene for instance which really i think was in so important and then indie alternative had a decent amount and then grunge music had a for a genre that is largely associated with male with males there are a surprising number of females that are involved with it and really i think that in general there are a lot of what you'll find is that there are a lot of women who are essential in a lot of in a lot of different genres whether it a lot of them are like they're a member of a band that and was like breakthrough in that that was like an important band in the genre and then for some cases then they themselves were essential in the genre so i'm going to dive right into this so um basically the way that i'm going to do this is that i'm going to discuss several different uh several different musicians i'm gonna go through a lot of different musical styles but and i'm gonna try to do more rapid fire just because there are so many that said though i do want to because there are and i chose a few that really stood out to me with how i'm with how important they are in reality if i could do as many as i wanted even like for instance if you listen to the Black History Month and we're like, wow, that was a long one. That was after about like eight times going through the list of artists I wanted to discuss and uh, and then deciding, nope, this I can't do it anymore. I want to discuss all these artists. And it still ended up being over a two-hour episode. I, a similar kind of thing here. I think I went through like ten times to get it a little bit shorter. If I, for, if I wanted to discuss all the ones that I realistically wanted to discuss... We wouldn't have finished it in the month. But I chose a few specific artists that 
there's several specific artists that I really wanted to discuss. In particular with this, I've chosen different artists that um, I haven't spent a lot of time on previously in the podcast because I really wanted to give a shout out to different artists that I normally discuss. And I figured that's not a problem. There's so many options I wanted to choose from that I that I had plenty. So I'll start out with some... I guess we could call them non-musicians, even though, realistically, a bunch of them were also musicians. So, um, and then I'll dive into a bunch of different ones, and I'm just going to try to do a few for, uh, like a couple for each of the genres I want to discuss. So, uh, first one I want to mention is Cynthia Whale. So, um, she was a songwriter. Um, she was a co-writer, uh, she, uh, had a, br- a, cr- a brilliant songwriting team partnership with her husband, Barry Mann. Um, Manuel had, uh, were, uh, were two of the more, of the more known writers during the, for the Brill Building, which the Brill Building, um, it, there is uh, yeah, there are controversies regarding to how they ex- a lo- exploited a lot of musicians there. But even still, though, they had basically legend come want to come up with a legendary song in like the in like the sixties f- in particular. Um, it's not surprising to see them being written there. So, um, she, um, so, um, their first song that, uh, they wrote was Bless You, which was by Tony Orlando, and the first song they wrote, I mean, the first hit song, I mean, the first hit song they wrote was, uh, was, uh, hit number 15 in the chart, in the U.S. And then, uh, several other top 10 hits um, were My Dad by Paul Peterson, um, Blame It on the Bossa Nova by Eddie Gourmet, um, Eddie Gourmet, uh, and then On Broadway by The Drifters. They did, uh, they did a bunch for the Righteous Brothers. They're, they wrote the Righteous Brothers, bi- a couple of the Righteous Brothers big hits in, uh, You've Lost That Love and Feeling, and You're My Soul and Inspiration. Um, they did, uh, you've, We've Gotta Get Out of This Place by The Animals. Um, they did a few hits by uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Kicks, Hungry. They did uh, Somewhere Out There by Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram. And uh, they did a Hanson, They wrote a Hanson song, uh, I Will Come to You. And those are just the top ten hits. Well, I mean, the animal song that I mentioned, Pit 13, but still, it is a well-regarded song at this time. They wrote several other songs that ended up being massive hits in the U.S. Um, they wrote songs for several artists that um, are just legendary just le- uh, legendary musicians now and well-known names. And she was a big part of that. And frankly, that duo was one of the better songwriting combos of the Brill Building. Um, the next one I want to mention is Ruth Crawford Seeger. So, um... She, uh, 
she's an interesting one because she was a so she was a folk composer in particular and she was active in the 20s and 30s um and uh she ended up being uh she was like an excellent writer and uh ended up being excuse me she ended up being a really well regarded um well regarded um <clears throat> excuse me she ended up being a well regarded uh, so- uh songwriter is still like influential in uh folk music um and really was just an excellent composer and uh it I'm not an expert in like in f- enough of an expert in folk music to say who I would ca- who I would rank in- among the top composers in folk music. But that said, um because even but that said even still she was she was excellent at it, and even before that, she was also um, uh, she also was a composer for modernism music. Um, yeah, she was she was just an excellent compo- excellent composer and songwriter. Um, the next one I want to discuss is is Lucy Broadwood. So um, she was also most known for uh, her work in a. Uh, in folk music. So, um, sure, she was a folk singer. And yeah, she was a folk researcher. And her work with that was important in, uh, uh, in the English folk revival, um, in the 18, in the 1800s and the 1900s. But that said, what she might be best at was that she was excellent she was an excellent collector of music and she she had this excellent she had this massive collection of music which I think is was really essential to her uh, uh, just to her legacy and how she was able to uh, help uh help popularize and really be influential in the in the revival of folk music she was especially influential after she died with her collection too so I think that really I don't know that folk music would necessarily have been the same without her and the last quote-unquote non-performer that I would say is that I want to mention is Sylvia Robinson the reason I said "quote unquote" is because she was a performer too. She was well. She um she was really successful with uh in as being a half of the duo of Mickey and Sylvia, where she was a um where she was a great singer and a songwriter for uh the R and B duo and guitarist also. But and she also had a solo career that um didn't quite have the same level of success but even still she did have a 
as she did have a a massive hit in Pillow Talk. The reason that I especially want to talk with her is because she has been often known as the mother of hip-hop. Which might sound weird considering that she wasn't a hip-hop artist. But the reason was because she later, after she, um... After she largely stopped performing, she became the the founder and CEO of Sugar Hill Records, which was a legendary hip-hop label. And she is credited as being one of the driving force, one of the major driving forces behind Rapper's Delight by Sugar Hill Gang and The Message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Now, for... Um, now, if you were to, uh, for the history of hip-hop music, there's a case to be made that those two songs are the most important songs in hip-hop music history. I would argue The Message is probably the best hip-hop song of all time, and Rapper's Delay, I would feel safe saying, is number two. If if you want to uh, split hairs with me, okay, I'll switch them. I've, I'd, I feel comfortable putting those two at the top two. And she was influential in... Uh, she was influential in with both of these because she was uh, she uh, she was the CEO of the company. She uh, she was one of the producers for both of them, and she was one of the songwriters for both. So without her, I don't think those songs would have been made. Now, want to mention a traditional pop artist here? Really, so traditional pop, I think historically it's has largely just it just been vocal you mostly care about the vocalists you don't really care as much about uh the instrumentalists i do want to mention i thought it'd be good to mention a traditional pop artist though because historically there have been several traditional pop artists who have been really successful and in particular i want to mention one that's a little bit different than a lot of traditional pop artists and that's lma morse so lma morse she uh had several top ten hits, um, with some of the some of the funniest names of. She wasn't a songwriter, but some of the songs that she chose had were, in my opinion, some of the funniest names in history. Um, you had "Cow Cow Boogie," "Mr. Five by Five," uh, "Shoo Shoo Baby," "No Love No Nothing," um, "Milkman Keep Those Bottles Quiet," uh, "The Patty Cake Man." Um, and then you also have the Blacksmith Blues, and those are all her top ten hits. Like in a eleven year span, she was, or in a four year span. First off, in the forties, she was in mid forties. She was just making hit after hit after hit, and then she had a few more hits in the early fifties. So the reason that I really wanted to mention her though is because while a lot of traditional pop artists they would like, they would do pop. Sometimes they would do. Sometimes they would do like a jazz, a blues song. A lot of times they shifted into jazz. They crossed over into jazz too. For her, she consistently would just mix pop, jazz, traditional pop, jazz, blues, and country into those into it. And well, at around that time, I would probably say, um, Cab Calloway is probably the one that comes to mind for me with being influential in um, early rock music at that time. Ella Mae Morse is really important with uh with the way that she was able to blend so many different styles in the development of rock music. So, I, and I think that just because, especially early rock music, you had, 
like, um, like you had blue blues was heavily influential in rock music. Jazz had some influence, and country, well, rockabilly, uh, really was important in like in rock music. So, I mean, just the fact that she was able, willing to mix all of those, I think, was really important in uh in doing in the development of rock music, and she was doing that in like the forties when rock music came a decade later. So I think that I really wanted to mention her because she, um, because I really think that she was a massive, massive, uh, um, massive, massively important in rock music. So now I want to go on to, uh, salsa slash Latin pop, basically, uh, and one in particular that I really, really, really said I have to discuss is uh, Celia, Cru- Celia Cruz. So she's one of the most popular Latin artists of the 20th, 20th century. Um, rose to fame in the in the 50s, um, performing gracha music. Um, and then after that, basically, she became so big and important in it that two of her nicknames in the US are the Queen of Salsa and the Queen of Latin Music. And I mean she uh she released sev uh she released a lot of songs that um that uh became well known that became well known in the genre. Um she uh she was an excellent singer. Um and really, she was really prolific in her just recording and what she would release. Like her, so her first in particular, so um, her first her first album, because she had been performing already before and been in films before that, many years before that. Her first album was released in 1958. Her second album was released the same year. Her third album was released one year afterwards, and. In the 60s, she had an album in 1961, 1964, two in 1965, two in 1966, two in 1967, two in 1968, and one in 1969. So she really was prolific, a prolific, um, prolific in terms of recording. Um, and then she also, um, incorporated, uh, a lot of, uh, music into her, into the genre, into her music as well. Um. And she, I mean, she is, she really is important with popularizing, um, Latin music in the U.S. Um, and I, honestly, I don't know what Latin music would be like without her. I know that sounds, probably sounds really weird and Old, but I I truly believe that. Um, I want to discuss one classical musician also, um, like modern classical musician. Um, so one and because there have been a there have been some in particular classical guitarists who have become 
uh, who ends up becoming like well-known and highly well-regarded musicians. Um, Sharon Isbin is one of those. Uh, she's won multiple Grammys. The guitarist is a prolific, prolific guitarist. Um, I'm by no means an expert in a classical guitar or classic who like, especially modern musicians for classical music. But I have seen multiple lists where she is like in the top, like top 20 for maybe even top 10 for classical music, for classical guitarists. But the main reason I wanted to discuss her is that she was the founder of the guitar department at Juilliard School. So, um, which uh, is um, well re- well regarded for drama, music, and dance. Um, and the fact that she was the one who founded the department and was their first director for the department. Um, and like also taught there for a while there too. That's, in my opinion, that's absolutely incredible and absolutely bonkers to see. Um, I find that so, I find that so cool. Um, so uh, next, I want to get to well. So she did one that did really did a bunch of different genres. Um, if you wanted to call her a gospel singer, okay. If you want to call her a jazz singer, she crossed into that. Blues, yeah, she performed blues. R&B, yeah, she performed R&B too. And that's Sister Rosetta Tharp. She was, uh, she was one hell of a singer, guitarist, and songwriter. And, uh, really, so she, um, so she first started out, uh, as a, as a gospel musician. And then, um, and then, uh, she, uh, since, well, she started to, uh, appeal to R&B musicians and rock, uh, R&B audiences and rock audiences after that, too. And, uh, she, uh, um, she would, she was really influential in pioneering, uh, with guitars. She would, uh, she used a lot of distortion on an electric guitar, um, and really was, uh, really was influential in the rise of electric blues, which, uh, became, uh, influential genre, not in blues music, but also rock music. Um, and, uh, that also was really influential in, uh, British blues music, which was also really big in developing hard rock music. Um, she, um, and she was also an, uh, gospel music, an early gospel musician who wasn't afraid to rotate between secular and religious music which uh really was also uh big for a lot of influential with a lot of gospel musicians um and while she was influential on a lot of different genres um she uh has been two nicknames that have been commonly she's been commonly referred to as as the original soul sister and the godmother of rock and roll and really i mean some rock musicians that have cited her as a big influence, a major influence, are Little Richard, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Now, all of those were frankly essential in the found in the development of rock and roll, and uh, 
her song, uh, strange, her song, her version of the song, strange things happen every day. Um, that one, uh, is, so it ends up being like the first gospel song to, uh, one of the first gospel songs to to have crossover success. But then also that one has been called the first rock song of all time. Now that one's, I will say, it's tough to necessarily say what is the first rock song of all time. I don't know what is. But if you were to argue that one is, I'd listen to you. I wouldn't argue it. <laughs> There's a fair case for it. Um, so, really, she really is an incredibly influential musician. And I, and I mean, I think that she really is in a, um, one of the most important musicians in the development of rock music. And she finally was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influence in 2018, which in my opinion was many years overdue. Um, next one I want to discuss is Julia Lee. So, um, she, uh, um, so she was a blues musician, um, and she was an excellent, an excellent and really popular, um, uh, singer and pianist, um, especially in the 40s had several, several hits. But one thing that was really interesting was that, so, um, there's this subgenre of blues music called Dirty Blues, which is, uh, largely blues music that, uh, that was, uh, considered at that time, a uh, taboo or obscene. And, uh, there, and while there were, there are some, uh, there have been some, uh, uh, some female musicians that uh, came, that came before, or that some females that came before her in that. She had a. She was able to have multiple hits, um, do uh, performing that, which, um, was a rarity in the genre because, uh, um, because of often how taboo they are, but. She uh. But she had multiple, um, multiple hits when doing that, which usually they didn't get hits with there. So the fact that she was able to get hits with that genre, I find, I find really wild. Um, it, and it really was, uh, really wasn't something that was common. Um, next artist I want to discuss, uh, is... An R&B musician. Uh, she also had crossover success into blues and gospel, and that's uh, um, Maybelle Smith, who is more commonly known as and professionally known as Big Maybelle. Um, yeah, she was phenomenal, phenomenal singer. Um, her biggest hit was the was uh, was the song "Candy," which ended up which ended up being a uh, which ended up being a pretty big hit, um, and it also was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Um, and there, and a lot of her, a lot of her, her music 
really did like a cause she had she didn't have a ton of big hits at that time like there was um but I think that she I think she has been regarded as or been more highly regarded uh later on and in particular like a lot of her a lot of her uh posthuman releases or posthumanist releases uh have been big a lot of times like there is stuff that ends up on like a different uh that ends up on uh ends up on different things like for instance uh she she had a song that ended up in the soundtrack on one of the fallout games for instance she is one that I think really, because uh, she didn't have a ton of hits, I think really was underrated throughout her entire career. And I am glad to see that she has gotten more attention lately in the last several years. But it is sad to see that it that it didn't happen in her lifetime while she was performing. Uh, next artist I wanted to mention is Bonnie Raitt. So, she she performed a bunch of different genres. Um, probably most known for her blues and blues rock music, but she also crossed over into roots rock, folk, folk rock, Americana. Um, she, uh, she really was a for years, she had loads of critical success, but little commercial success. I mean, in the 80s, she had a few songs where she, like, for instance, at the Grammys, she was nominated for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance, um, which they used, which they did used to do. Um, but then, her album Nick of Time came out. And that <laughs> that changed everything there. So, um, it was her 10th album, and it hit number one in the U.S., um, was a massive critical success, um, in particular, um, that has been, uh, it has consistently been on a lot of, uh, a lot of publications, best albums of all time. Um, it was her first top 10 album, and, Actually, for that matter, it was her first top 20 album, because um, she did have a couple other albums that previously had hit top 40, but um, that was... It. So, uh, ever since then, she has yet to have an album that has fallen... that has not hit top 20. And uh, she has released a bunch of great albums, like her most recent one, Diggin' Deep. But then she also had Luck of the Draw, Longing in Their Hearts, uh, Silver Lining, um slipstreams uh several others and uh and then on luck of the draw she wound up having a she wound up having a massive hit with uh something to talk about um just that i can't make you love me which was also a big hit then uh on long in their hearts she had love sneaking up on you um she later on had a you got it um and but really, she really is a fantastic musician. So, first off, I mean, she isn't... She is an excellent songwriter. Like, she is another one that really... Um, I think she has gotten more attention than... I think more people recognize that she is a good songwriter than 
a lot of other musicians, which are females, I mean, which I'm really glad about, but even still, she is an excellent songwriter. And then Rolling Stone has listed her at number 50 on their greatest singers of all time and number 89 on their greatest guitarists of all time. She she's a fantastic musician and um and even, she's also a great lyricist cuz um uh one co- uh, country musician from Australia Graham Connors he said this line which I think is so fair. Bonnie Raitt does something with a lyric no one else can do. She bends it and twists it right into your heart. I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Um, now I'm going to move on to a few jazz musicians. So um, jazz is another one where um, a lot of a lot of female jazz musicians have largely been stuck with singing, which is really unfortunate. But that said, I have. Two singers that I want to mention, and then one musician. Um, so, Sarah Vaughn. There is a case to be made that she is one of the that she is one of the best uh, vo- uh, vocal jazz mu- uh, musicians, and one of the best singers. Um, she, <laughs> I mean, which a uh, jazz critic Scott Yano had literally literally said about her. Um, that she had one of the most wondrous voices of the 20th, 20th century. Um, she she really was a phenomenal jazz musician. Um, she uh, and also she was nicknamed the Divine One, just to show how well regarded she was held. Um, she uh, she was nominated for uh, several Grammys, um, and really she had she had a bunch of Big hits with the grant with the uh, um, hit singles. So, um, like she had in particular, her big hits had, were like include Nature Boy, uh, It's Magic, Black Coffee, um, That Lucky Old Son, um, I Love the Guy, um, Our Very Own, um, These Things I Offer You, Vanity, Make Yourself Comfortable, How Important It Can Be. Whatever Lola wants, um, broken hearted melody, um, yeah, her rendition of that one was really was a, was a really big one, um, and I mean, really, it's there. She had uh, and also um, her uh, her performance of the song uh, if you could see me now was um was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame um and really she really was an absolutely fantastic music, fantastic singer and I know there have been some amazing in particular uh there have been some amazing historically uh especially black female singers which I think is awesome um, cause no, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Billy Holiday, but Sarah Vaughn, it, she, I mean, she typically is among the all-time greats, and she deserves to be. Um, next one I want to mention is, uh, the Andrews Sisters. So, um, 
they were uh so they were a singing they were a vocal trio um often performing jazz music in particular they typically did swing music um but they also uh did they also performed the uh boogie woogie music boogie woogie music um crossover into some blues but um like in particular a song boogie woogie boogie woogie buggle boy jesus a mouthful <laughs> um is uh was really influential in uh j- in jump blues um but basically um they they did like for uh they did versions of beer mirabusta beer beer mirabusta shine you'd think i would be able to pronounce that cuz i know german but uh, i know it's it's yiddish but still um and then uh beer barrel polka beat me daddy ate to the bar don't sit under the apple tree um and Roman Coca-Cola. And that one also helped uh, with showing America's what Calypso music Americans what Calypso music was. Um but they are so they one thing that's uh, was so amazing about them is that they were incredible at harmonizing. Like in particular they I think that's totally fair to say that they might have been a one of the one of the better groups at har- vocal groups at harmonizing that I could think of, um, and they still are like they still are influential to this day. Several musicians, several even modern musicians, have listed them as a um, as uh, influences, including Christina Aguilera and Pentatonix. So, really, I think that they really did change like how vocal music worked, especially with a group. Now, uh, the last jazz musician I want to mention, um, is one that, she did some, she has crossed over into some other genres, but I think she's one of the most underrated musicians of all time, and that's Esperanza Spalding. She's a, she's really good, um, she's an incredible musician, she can play, I mean, she can play guitar, but she's most known as a bassist, and basically, most people knew her as a uh, as um the musician who shocked the world when she was named best new artist over Drake, Justin Bieber, Florence and the Machine and excuse me, and Mumford and Sons. And let me tell you, her the album that she released that um she ended up winning best new artist for, uh Chamber Music Society that's one great album. <laughs> um, she really is a fantastic musician. Um, one of the m- most underrated musicians of all time. She's an excellent songwriter. She also uh, has worked as an um, as an instructor at several different music schools. Um, she was a professor at. Uh, uh, she's been a. She I uh, I believe she currently is a professor at. Uh, Appointed professor at uh, Harvard. She, if she isn't currently, she was one. Um, she also previously was an instructor at a Berkeley, co- Berkeley, uh, which she went to. Um, she, she's an excellent songwriter. She basically it feels like any because she's also a great singer and anything that it feels like anything that she releases is great. And also on top of that, she is also an excellent musician who can. 
uh, in addition to having hits with on her, uh, make, maybe not hits on her own, but um, making great music on her own, she can also uh, she can is also like a great um, side musician kind of thing and can play in a group, which is a really valuable thing to see. Um, and I really think that she is a really underrated musician, and I'm. But I am excited that she has gotten even the commercial success that she has, which has got to be good for, uh, I hope, I figured that, that, just seeing that is a good sign for women instrumentalists, but even still, I hope that she, just more people know her, because I really think she is underrated even with that. I want to take a minute to promote a business by a friend of the podcast, and also a really good friend of mine, and that business is Bendings Canvas. It can be found on redbubble.com, and it's some incredible artwork. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm I'm blown away by it. I'm, like, lost for words. Really amazing artist. Um, you can go on there, get all sorts of magnets, stickers, artwork. There's a really cool variety of things, really cool stuff. So definitely go on there if you want to get something for yourself. If you want to maybe get a gift for someone, like maybe a birthday gift, holiday gift. Home warning, home warming gift, or just a random gift for an occasion. That's a thing that you can still do. Um, definitely go on, go on there, Bendings Canvas, for absolutely amazing artwork, and a support a really close friend of mine. Um, that's Bendings Canvas on Redbubble.com. That's Bendings Canvas on Redbubble.com. So there are a bunch of others I want to get to. So um, let's get to con- let's get to country music. So one thing I didn't mention with country music is that when I was discussing the different genres, historically I think that country music, in my opinion, is one of the genres where um, because I'm not a great country historian, but in my opinion, country music is one of the one of the genres where um that um women have had a difficult time really breaking into and being taken seriously because I mean well uh, uh historically a lot of the hits were done by were done more by men um especially early on but as but even as the genre it seemed like we were getting more and more females in it more and more females then bro country becomes big where a lot of it is where a lot of times like for instance with Florida Georgia line you see a lot of times where they're talking where the point of woman in the song is to uh is to effectively idolize them and sleep with them so and that so after years where it seemed like they're they were starting to get closer to progress then you get the broad country which can't comes around so i really th- so so i really think that sadly is just shows how difficult it is but there's two country musicians that i want to discuss there were a, ultimately there were like probably six that i were was considering discussing but the interest of time, two were ones that I really want to bring up. The first one is Goldie Hill. Now, she is one of the first fe- uh, first women to have, su- to have success in country music, and in particular, the first um, the first one to have commercial success. She was she was the first person, the first female, to have. A country song top the charts, top the country charts, with her song, I Let the Stars Get in My Eyes. And really, she was one, um, there are a few others too, like K- Katie Wells and 
Gene Shepard were um, really important in uh, for wo uh, women in music, but she was really one of the more important ones because she also had a a few. She had a few other hit songs, um, but like uh, looking back to see, uh, also hit top ten for the country charts. But that song alone really, I think, makes her made her essential in the genre, and I think that a lot of people. Um, don't really give her that much credit now because um, she didn't have a ton of hits. But she was so important there. Um, the other one that I want to discuss is one who also was crossed over into Rockabilly, and that's Wanda Jackson. So um, she, just in the last couple of years, just a couple of years ago, um, actually four days ago today, um, she... Uh, she uh, had retired from touring, uh, or from performing, but she was, uh, so she was, um, one of the, she was an early country, uh, early arts that had success in country, but in particular, she more focused with, uh, on rockabilly, which, uh, she was essential in pioneering rock music as a whole, because rockabilly historically was essential in early rock music. So, um, and she, like, what she would do is she blended country music and rockabilly a lot of times. Um, and even, like, at times had, like, a country song and a, and a rockabilly song on, like, different sides, um, on the record. And, uh, she, uh, once rockabilly kind of died out a little bit into the, in the early 60s, um, she switched over to country and had hit after hit after hit in country music. Um, but then in the eighties, in uh, both Europe and America, there was a bit of a resurgence in rockabilly, um, which I mean is it makes which is part of the reason why Stray Cats ended up being uh, being as big as they were <laughs> as a rockabilly band that when they were releasing music, um, and uh, she ended up she was a musician who ended up getting a lot of attention as a result of uh, this revival. So, um, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2009 as an early influence, and she was probably the first, if not the first, one of the first popular female rockabilly singers, and, uh, she has been nicknamed the Queen of Rockabilly and the First Lady of Rockabilly as a result for just how important she was in both genres, not both genres, in rockabilly. Um... So now I want to discuss folk music. So I know I mentioned a couple folk musicians, a couple of people that were really important in folk music previously as non-musicians, but I think so. Folk music as a whole was a uh, really interesting because uh, she uh, because there are a lot uh, there are historically a lot of females who have had success in, like, folk and folk rock, which is weird, considering, compared to a lot of other rock genres. Um, and I think it's neat. Because, I mean, of course, Bob Dylan's the number one, but then you have, like, Joni Mitchell, for instance, um, who is an absolute massive name, um, and dozens, um, dozens of others, but one that I really want to discuss that... First, I'll discuss one who was more of a folk rock musician. And that and then I'll do one that was earlier folk music. 
And this one was Joan Baez. In my opinion, with when I think folk rock, there are three artists I think of. Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, and Joan Baez. And I think a lot of people... I think Joan Baez kind of falls into the cracks a lot of times. Um, so, uh, she... Uh, so, in like the... She really had a big breakout in the 60s. And uh, she... Um, And, uh, excuse me, yeah, in, like, the early 60s, she had her, like, her debut album hit hit number 20, and then she, her fourth album, Fell Angelina, Angelina hit, uh, hit number 10. So, I mean, she had other albums that big later on, like, she had a live album that hit number 7, um, her live album, Joan Baez in Concert Part 2. Um, she, uh, she really was a, she was a very good guitarist, an excellent singer. Um, she was a solid, she was a good songwriter. Um, but really, I think what she is amazing, what she was always amazing at, was um, was reinterpreting different artists' music. Like two that she became really known for were um, cover of uh, covers of Phil Oaks uh, songs. Uh, the Philip song, There But For Fortune, and the band song, uh, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Now, she also had Di- uh, Diamonds and Rust, which was an, which was an excellent song, um, and still well-regarded song. Um, but really, she, she really, even, like, a lot of her later albums, too, she, she just continuously would, like, reinterpret work from other musicians and I have said this previously I know in particular I said this with Aretha Franklin because I think she's the master at this it is I, that's one thing that I struggle with because I mean I I enjoy writing music I I have no problem with that what I struggle with is cover stuff because I want to do it because I can't reimagine it but Joan Bias was one musician who could reimagine stuff like crazy and also she was really active with uh social justice and protesting um in especially in the 60s she was really good at it and uh in 50s and 60s and she and uh she continued to do she was really outspoken during uh, the civil rights movement um and the vietnam war um after that she continued with uh, various human rights issues um so there is a case to be made that she that her activism might have even been even more impressive than her music career which is absolutely wild because of how impressive her music career was um she was long overdue inducted into the rock and roll of fame in 2017 ever since i first heard of her when i was in high school i think like i first heard of her in like 2010 i was like why isn't she in the rock and roll of fame um so i was thrilled when she was inducted um, the other one I want to discuss is Odetta. She, um, there's a lot that she did. Um, she acted, she, uh, was a great singer, guitarist, lyricist. Um, she was an activist and in fact was, uh, is often referred to as the voice of the civil rights movement. Um, so she had a, um, she, uh, had a uh, probably her most well-regarded song at this point 
was uh, a, was her version of uh, the song Take This Hammer. And it... I mean, she really was in- incredibly influential um, in folk music. She was massive in the... Uh, she While well, she started getting attention in the 40s, she was impressively influential in the in like the in the 50s and 60s especially and she influenced a lot of the folk musicians that became big in that time uh in particular the aforementioned Joan Baez and Bob Dylan um I often will see her in the top 10 of greatest folk musicians of all time I'm not enough of a folk historian to uh be able to comment on that but I feel safe to me she really is an absolutely fantastic musician so including her like in the in the top uh, including her in the top 10 yeah that feels right I mean Martin Luther King Jr. has called literally called her the queen of American folk music um so one that I so one genre that I did want to mention is as a whole like reggae and ska music in particular um so historically most of the musicians in those genres have been men however Millie Small is an essential musician in that one in that category because um her song My Boy Lollipop Ended up being an international, <laughs> massive international hit um, in 1964. Um, her version of that song. Um, and uh, it ended up uh, hitting number two in both the UK and the US. So, really, she. She. Um, she ended up being. Like probably the first like massive like at that time like the first like probably the first massive ska artist, but then also she ended up being um that song was really the first massive uh Caribbean hit in the worldwide so so she became really uh, potentially the Caribbean's first international artist um <laughs> so I. So I find that one so she had some other song singles that um didn't a lot of them didn't have as much success as that one but I find that so cool the fact that she just became the first ma- the first massive artist from the Caribbean because of that that hit um I want to go into R and B music so R for R and B I know a lot of the big musicians in R and B tend to be uh, more vocalists. Um, and I don't, there are a lot, historically, a lot of bigger named females in R&B. And historically, a lot of these musicians have, uh, also sadly been exploited financially, especially women. Like, I know there was one story that I heard with Aretha Franklin that by the end of her career, she was, like, during her prime, she was so financially exploited that what she would do for shows later on is... She wouldn't do it unless she saw the money she was getting paid because she had been lied to for music and exploited for decades. So, and by later on in her career, she she knew her worth. <laughs> um, there's two R&B groups because in particular, 
R&B vocal groups became well-known, and in particular, a lot there are a lot of female R&B vocal groups. So the first one that I want to mention is one that is largely unknown, but is so important. And that is the Bobettes. So they're most known for their top, 1957 top 10 hit, Mr. Lee. They didn't have another even top 40 hit after that. They had a few other songs that charted in the top, uh, that charted in the top. But the thing was, though, they were the first female R&B girl group that had success, commercial success, which I think is awesome. Um, they, um, they were inducted into the Vocal Group Hall of Fame, um, I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because they are largely a one-hit wonder, and I, so I think there is a, it is a tougher case for them, but even still, I think that just the presence of them being the first one, and, uh, after Mr. Lee, having, the song Mr. Lee, really trying to rely on a lot of, uh, Um, on a lot of uh, uh, more novelty songs. That makes it a lot more difficult. But a fun fact related to them also. They wrote Mr. Lee. Which is really uncommon for uh, at that time for any vocal group to be the writers also. Um, And also I uh, did want to mention another vocal group because in the revitalization of, uh, like, in the 90s R&B, which for modern music is probably, like, the for modern R&B might be the prime, consider the prime of R&B, there were a lot of vocal groups, and in particular, in particular, a lot of female R&B groups that were massive, and a lot of girl groups in particular. One of those groups that I really think is, uh, that was pr- one of those groups that was probably the most commercially successful in the 90s, was TLC. Now, TLC, of course, they had several hits in the 90s and so, and then some in the early 2000s too, but I mean, they had three number one hits with Creep, Waterfalls, and No... Actually, four, I'm sorry, I miscounted. Um, Creep, Waterfalls, No Scrubs, and Unpretty. They also had several other top ten hits. But one thing that I think is really cool about them that a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of their hits they were also involved in the songwriting on them like no scrubs for instance had uh, their members writing it um same thing with unpretty um same thing with waterfalls <laughs> i mean it's i find that really cool so um um and really i think they are like, I mean, if, like, 90s R&B groups, I think were, I think I, TLC is the one that comes to mind, and, uh, in particular, um, Vibe Magazine has said, um, that, uh, there would, there would be no all-black female R&B group having a chemistry, cultural, and commercial impact as remotely comparable as TLC. And, I mean, uh, there have been some that, including uh, Philippine Daily Inquirer, that called them the most influential <laughs> female group of all time. Uh, I mean, 90s on, yes. 
by all means, there's no contest. Some of the early groups, there's a case to be made that there's competition, but even still, it's a, <laughs> a tough case. Um, so, I want to move on to hip-hop music. So, um, there are... So, I know earlier I mentioned uh, that uh, Sylvia Robinson, who is was really essential in the creation of hip-hop music, but as a whole, there aren't a ton. Uh, historically, there have not been a ton of female hip-hop artists. But there have been some that were really important. So there are two that I want to discuss. One of them, because first I want to discuss one that is a really well-known one, heavily commercially successful. And she wasn't the first female hip-hop artist with a lot of success. I mean, historically the first one that comes to mind for me is Salt and Peppa, but, and I mean, even Queen Latifah also came before her, but Missy Elliott she had, I, she had several hits, and, yeah, cool, multiple hit albums, several hit albums, or several hit songs, but, really, she, there are a lot, there's a lot that she did, first off, I mean, she, she was, uh, she incorporated a lot of, uh, things like, such as feminism, gender equality, sex positivity, um, even, like, early on in her career, which was not as common for female hip-hop artists, um, even in the 90s, well, especially in the 90s, um, she was really important in revolutionizing what hip-hop was, especially what hip-hop for female musicians are, um, and also she, um, she also was influential in changing what, um, uh, excuse me, she is also influential in what, you know, what music videos were like in hip-hop, so, and I think that se- there's a, what a lot of times you see is that there are certain, like, a, you do have certain, early, uh, a lot of times you have many bigger name hip-hop artists who aren't necessarily, as, who don't necessarily cite the artists that came, like, 20, 30 years before them. A lot of hip-hop artists have cited uh, Missy Elliott as a massive influence. I know in particular, two more re- two more recent ones that have are include Cardi B and Lizzo. And then also you do have like some previous artists like you have uh, in R&B also, like you have uh, Destiny's Child, Eve, Macy Gray have all uh, cited her. Um, she... Yeah, she's still one of the best-selling uh, female hip-hop artists of all time. Um, and basically, it reached a point where it felt like anything that... Any of the albums that she released, it felt like it's like, yeah, this will be a good album. Um, and in my opinion, none spoke more than her album, Under Construction, which uh, was her uh, fourth album. The other hip-hop artist I want to mention is not one who had any commercial success. But really, um, but was at an interesting pl- point in a uh, in mu- in uh, music and hip hop music as a whole. So 
Um, Lolita Gooden, more known for her stage name, stage name Roxanne Shanta. She uh, became known for uh, what for being involved with one of the first hip massive hip hop rivalries. So um, which was related to uh, which was the considered the Roxanne Wars. Basically, um, uh, so there was this, uh, UTFO, they released this song, uh, Roxanne, Roxanne, and, uh, it ended up, uh, ended up being, it was a B-side of a song, but it ended up being a really big hit. And, uh, then, um, And then she, uh, so, um, after that, then Roxanne Chanta, she, um, when, uh, she overheard, uh, some, some individuals that were doing a radio show, um, they heard, uh, including, uh, Mr. Magic, who became a well-known hip-hop DJ, and Marley Marl, who became a really influential producer, DJ rapper, um, hear them over discussing how, uh, they, um, how they were, uh, um, how UTFO canceled, uh, UTFO canceled, uh, um, excuse me, canceled, uh, appearance on a radio show. So she suggested on there, she's walking by, and she's 14, she suggested that she suggested that she could make do a response and make a song Roxanne's Revenge and they liked the idea so then they uh so they released that so they released that song and it ended up being a little bit controversial due to uh the profanities in it but it ended up being a big hit in New York in New York and then um UTFO then uh had uh their own had um had a response song back to that one um and they found and they brought in someone <laughs> and they brought so else someone in someone else named the real Roxanne so ultimately it ended up being um since then it has been possible one of the one of the probably the most no most recognized um hit uh rivalry in the early, like, uh, golden age hip-hop kind of thing in, like, the 70s, 80s. So, I just find that so cool how she was just a 14-year-old, came up with that idea, and ended up really <laughs> was influential in, uh, terms of, uh, hip-hop rivalries. Um, now, for pop music, a lo- look, there's a, a lot of females are well-known in, I mean, there's not even a, there are, it seems like there's a lot of females that are well-known in pop music, um, I want to do two that, even though one of them is massive, and one of them is starting to get regain gain some in some in terms of legacy points. I would say that these two are still immensely underrated. So the first one sounds odd to say it's underrated, but that's Cindy Lauper. So she uh had a bunch of hits in uh with her uh. 
debut album, uh, She's So Unusual. Um, time After Time hit number one. Girls Just Wanna Have Fun hit number two. She Bop hit number three. All Through the Night hit number five. Um, and then she had another number one hit with True Colors on her second album. Um, but really, she was, she's an excellent songwriter, I think. And I think that it really is underrated, her songwriting ability. Um, because I mean, I think a lot. Because I mean, like for instance, girls just want to have fun. She didn't write the song, but time after time, she was she was the lead writer on it. Um, she bop, she wrote all through the night. Uh, she didn't write, but um, but since she also um, but really, she. The reason I would say she's so underrated now. I mean, she also did write the song as Change of Heart, but, uh, which hit number three, but since then, she, uh, she wrote the score for Kinky Boots. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it won a Tony for, it won a Tony for, uh, um, for, she won a Tony for Best Original Score with that one, and she was the first woman to win that by herself. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I mean, she it ended up winning best musical also, but she, but really, she. Um, I mean, I think because her with a lot of her albums, it they are well regarded at this point, um, especially her debut album. Um, a lot of her songs are well regarded, especially as just fun songs, and really just. Um, important and fem- uh, as like made like girls just want to fun probably made her uh, had, some have described her as a feminist idol after that one. Um, she um she uh also I mean she also released uh the song True Colors which uh be which become adopted as like an LGBT anthem. I mean. She, I think that she there is, a, like there is recognition for her, which is great. But that said, I think people don't give her, still don't give her the credit that she truly deserves with that one. Um, the other artists that uh, the other group of uh, pop artists, this one's a group actually, is the Shangri Laws. So they. At this point, they're probably most remembered for their song "Leader of the Pack," which hit number one in the U.S. Um, and uh, is in the Rock and Roll Hall. The that song itself is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one of the as a single, um, which they did. Which most of the other artists that they inducted were uh, that the for the songs. I mean, the artists of the songs that they made were one hit wonders. The thing is, though. They also had "Remember Walking in the Sand," which hit number five. They had. Get, uh, give him a great big kiss, which hit eighteen. They had "I Can Never Go Home Alone," which hit number six. In the mid, and they also had some songs that were success. That were they also had some success, um, other success, but they were in the mid sixties. They were a massive pop group, and I think also what's interesting is that they took a different public, uh, like public persona, which they were took on more of a tough girl persona which was really 
different about um about uh than compared to a lot of the um the musicians um uh in that time especially like and like they had a bad girl persona like in particular uh there was a an old legend about how uh one of uh about how one of the one of the members of the group Mary Weiss um she and was the lead singer of the group actually um that uh she um uh, had attracted FBI attention um for transporting a firearm across state lines um because uh she brought as defense when someone broke into her hotel room one night and that was and that tough girl image really was so different compared to all these other groups at that time and i think that really since then they have gotten and like they have gotten some recognition uh more recognition like i know there is there is a growing population of people that are saying hey put them in the rock and roll hall of fame I have been of the mindset that yes, they should be in the Rock and Roll of Fame for many years. But I and I'm excited to see more to see um, this uh, this collection coming out of the shadows because um, I think they totally deserve it. Um, and now, next up, I want to discuss electronic music. So historically, electro um, a lot of producers, DJs, um, and so on. They electronic musicians have been more known as have been males and but there have been several influential electron electronic vocalists who have um and like vocalists for dance and electronic music who have been females like debbie deb lisa uh, lisa lisa um are two that come to mind off the top of my head but i want to discuss two musicians first off a producer and then also who it was essential in house music and then possibly the most un uh, the most important one of the most important musicians in electronic music who is largely unknown so first off screaming rachel she is she has been uh connected with uh was connected with uh the um evolution of the house of house music genre which is really important in uh in that one um she was a uh, really big in like uh club scenes in New York City in the 80s and 90s um and uh and while she didn't have like a lot of necessarily commercial success with them she or with her songs she later on became an owner operator at uh, the owner and an operator at uh Tracks Records but really she has worked with several big name musicians in but uh, in electronic and frankly with how important she was in electron house music um billboard magazine called her the queen of house music i think that's fair <laughs> she really wasn't she really is an underrated presence in that um and now the other now the other musician i want to discuss here so i have said time and time again that um in my opinion the I'm not going to discuss her, but the most important, and not most important, but like the best electronic music, uh, less female electronic musician is Wendy Carlos. And I think that, and I, and I think she is one of the more, most important female electronic musicians as well. That said, 
there is a case to be made that there is an unsung, uh, that an unsung hero could be even more important than her. Dare I say that? And that is Delia Derbyshire. So, she is most known for uh, making the theme, for being involved with the theme music for Doctor Who. But in uh, the, but she was involved with uh, the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, which uh, was which there were a lot of there were a bunch of members in that group uh both male and female actually which I think is really cool but Derbyshire was one of the more important ones for the Doctor Who sound and I really think that um in particular there have been times where she's been um like at allmusic.com they discussed their all music they described her as uh, the unsung heroine of British electronic music and I mean with that, I mean, frankly, that song can't, I mean, the, I mean, Doctor Who, it started in 1963. So, so that one is, I think that just her presence on that is so important. Um, and, uh, many musicians have, uh, described her as a massive influence, including Aphex Twin, uh, the Chemical Brothers and Orbital, which all three of those are massive in electronic music. Um, now I want to go on to some rock music. Finally, um, so uh, um, so first off, a couple alternative artists. Um, so I previously discussed um, the musician, the female who I consider the if we don't count electronic music the best the best female uh, rock musician which who I said is Kim Deal now now I figure it's time to discuss the second best um, bassist who's also named Kim <laughs> Kim Gordon and I mean seriously Kim Gordon is she's the bassist of Sonic Youth I mean was the bassist of Sonic Youth they've since broken up but uh, she really is um she, she is one. I th I think she is one of the best bassists out there. Um, she uh, I mean, she also became like as a member, what just how she is. She became like the just a, the epitome of cool. Also, um, she um, she's a great singer. She's an excellent, excellent musician. Um, and she also did work with a like some some experimental work on her own app since then, and her, I mean, she was essential in Sonic Youth, who are one of the most important um, alternative groups of all time. Like, if they had another bassist instead of Kim Gordon, I don't know what they, what, um, not only alternative music, but also, like, experimental rock, noise rock, um, of modern day, I don't know what those would sound like. They, and she really was essential in that regard. Um, the other one I want to mention is, uh, is an artist who also performed in, uh, some music in, um, with, a one of, in one of the now most, ha seemingly most hated genres now, 
post-grunge, there are few musicians who have seemed to get away with a not uh, with still having success and not being and having their music not be hated. It seems like one of them is Foo Fighters, and the other one, Alanis Morissette. She is she really is one heck of a musician and one heck of a songwriter too. So I mean, just on her debut album. You have uh, you ought to know which was a massive hit, um, ironic. Uh, Hand in my pocket, which was a really underrated song. Um, some even call that the highlight of the album. Uh, you have you learn. Um, Head over feet was a really good one too. Um, I mean, all those songs were written by her. Now, later on, then um, she also broke out into some other genres into some other genres too like she had success uh thank you which um went more electronic music route electronica route was really big hit um hands clean was also a was also a big hit um a pretty big hit and her albums just consistently big after big hit her most recent album um was her first song since uh since uh, since her releases before Jagged Little Pill that didn't hit top 10. Oh no, it hit top 16 during a pandemic when everything's all out of whack and she and her tour her big tour was canceled. In other words, I'm nothing to worry about there. Nothing to see here. Um she in all seriousness, she is an excellent musician. Um and I really do think that she is also pretty underrated. Um now I mentioned earlier that punk music was really or there were several females who were big in punk music and really it's interesting because punk music it um they seem to uh there always seemed to be this mindset of like a like especially with hardcore punk music where a lot of artists were like uh would like support uh a lot of the male artists would support uh female artists and be excited about that, which I thought was really cool. Not every group was like that, but there were several. Um, Ian McKay, probably the more notable one, who um, in particular was really supportive of Riot, the Riot Girl scene. Um, there are a lot of punk bands that have fem- female involvement. Several groups that are essential in punk music that had female involvement. Like, including one of my favorite, pun- one of my favorite punk bands, Black Flag, um, X, another one of my favorites, but two that I want to discuss in particular, because also post-punk, there was the post-punk scene that also was, had a lot of females involved with it, or a lot of the major bands had females involved with it, but two that I want to discuss, one is punk that also was influential in post-punk, and the other one is a Riot Girl group. So, the first one is The Slits. So, um, they were made up of all females, um, British group, they were Really, so they didn't have a ton of commercial success. They did have like one song that hit 60 in the US, I mean the UK rather, and an album that hit 30 in the UK, which I mean they are a British group. Or were a British group. But really they they were really influential in the development of post-punk music. In particular, their debut album, Cut, um, that album was... Uh, because of its, uh, um, it's like a legendary album. Uh, 
like in Rolling Stone's most recent uh, rankings, they listed that number 260 in 500 greatest albums of all time. Um, incredible album. And a lot, I, mean, I think this one was because they weren't, they weren't probably, it probably wasn't the most notable album to incorporate like reggae or dub music. But it was one of the early ones that did. I know The Clash also did around the same time. But they were really influential in... The way their style of music was really influential in post-punk. And the album cut um, could be one of the defining post-punk albums, even. Um, That's how good it was and how important it was. Um, For the other group... I mean, for me, it goes hand-in-hand just because of, like... My knowledge of the of the genres, and my knowledge of the histories of the genres, really, but and my really my because I re- am really interested in punk music and the history of punk music. But for me, one band when I think when I hear the term the the subgenre Riot Girl, there were a lot of really influential groups in Riot Girl music, but there's one group that I just immediately associate with and just say is by far the most important one, and without them it wouldn't it wouldn't have been the genre it was and that is bikini kill so um they uh they were pioneering in uh the um they were pioneering in uh the in the genre in the genre um they um they uh start, had their releases in the early 90s like uh that were really influential with it um and mid nineties, um, but really they um with them they uh they also like helped define what the style of the genre would be, which was heavily influenced by hardcore punk, um, really abrasive music and uh uh both musically and lyrically. Um, really intense performances, um, a lot of firepower in the performances, and radical feminist lyrics. And that really helped define what Riot Girl became. And I, as I mentioned, I truly believe without Bikini Kill, there is no Riot Girl. And now for grunge music. So I know the big three in grunge music are all men, which are Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden. But there is one group that was punk and then also shifted it, that also shifted into uh, grunge music that I would say is well I'm not the best best with ranking grunge music but I feel safe calling them in uh, considering them in the top ten of grunge musician grunge groups and that is L7. So um. They, uh, in the 80s, they, uh, or their first album, they, their debut album, they tried to blend, uh, like, they blended punk and grunge music. It got more mixed reviews from, from critics, but it was more punk oriented, which, uh, it was an earlier, and it was early, it was before grunge music became big. Then they went in, their second album got a little bit better reviews, it was in the early 90s, right before Nirvana became big, like 1990. And then bricks are they released bricks are heavy, and uh, in their second album, Smell the Magic, they had really focused more on uh, 
uh, kind of the typical grunge alternative metal. But then with Bricks Are Heavy, that one, it ended up hitting 160 in the chart. It was released in 1992, which uh, was uh, right around the same time, uh, one year after Nirvana exploded, and at the, around the same time that uh, Pearl Jam had released their debut album. And they all, and that album really was well reviewed. Um, a lot of critics have called it one of the one of the best albums of all time. Even a lot of critics have called it one of the best grunge albums of all time. Um, they had a few more albums that were successful. Um, really, they L Seven really is a group that um, that also became a um. That beca- uh, became no- also known for their performances and just with how uh, intense their performances were. Um, and also, they uh, they formed a um, they formed a Rock for Choice, which uh, was a bunch of a benefit concert, series of benefit concerts um, in a. To show their support for abortion rights in the U.S. and Canada, and also they re- in the '90s when they became big, they uh, they generated a bunch of a bunch of controversy as uh, the bi- as um the big na- as like generated a bunch of controversy for different things, and really they that's part of that's important in rock, and helped out their popularity too, which I think is really really cool. Um, so, hard rock and metal really didn't have a... Hard rock had more musicians that, uh, female musicians and female groups. Metal had very few, which is really sad. And, I mean, there are a lot, a lot... It is starting to become... I was reading an article recently where it is... Some have argued that it is starting to become normalized with the idea of, uh, of thinking, um, that it's, uh... Fe- um, that f- the female uh, that instead of it being like a female led metal group it's just a group but even still there's still a, there aren't a ton of fem- of metal musicians in that are females um, for, for hard rock um, this one well there's one that was that had punk releases and um, hard rock releases and that is the Runaways. That um, they were massive overseas. They didn't. They weren't big in the U.S. Um, but like in Japan, they had a number one hit with their um, song that is now highly regarded, um, which is Cherry Bomb. Um, and uh, they were were really influential in uh with a uh, female with females in hard rock. But what what they're probably most known for is jump starting a lot of careers. Um, so the founding members of that group were Joan Jett, um, Sandy West, and Mickey Steele, all of whom who had um, who have found success. But then also other members, um, short, um, not too long into the, before their first release, uh, Lita Ford joined the group, who is massive in the genre. Um, you had Jackie Fox, who also joined, uh, Vicky Blue. All, uh, all these musicians had 
big careers, um, especially in uh, a lot of them in music. So um, they, so um, I, I think it's wild to see that, like looking back at it, just how many talented musicians there were, all in the same group. Um, and now, as for metal, there are two that I want to discuss here. Um, the first one is um, a, not a well-known group. The other one is a much more well-known group. Um, so the f- so um, the Japanese experimental metal, experimental rock, experimental metal, do metal, noise rock uh, group Boris. They. The group has a group full of great musicians. Um, you also have a, and they've also collaborated with a lot of amazing musicians that are like more experimental, including like Mersbo, uh and one that I love, Sono. Um, so, um, Weta is uh, there. So basically, she is one of their members. And uh, she's a very good vocalist. And that's not even what I would consider her best at. Um, she's also an excellent keyboard player. But there's a case to be made that her best instrument out of those is guitar. Um, and really, in... And I wanted to mention her because... With those... Because I think that... To describe how talented the members of Boris are. It's like, I have previously dis- um, in tw- my 2019, best of 2019 albums, I had, dis- I had um, a Sun O album in the best metal albums. And I previously discussed how there were times where in their album, uh, Life Metal, where they, because their albums get so experimental, that there are times where there's like, no melody, no harmony. It doesn't even sound like they're playing time signatures, but it's incredible. Boris is similar stylistically with how they they're experimental they are, and I so I think that that because doing something like that and making it sound good, that is that takes a lot of talent musically, and I could only dream of even coming close to that. Um. So um, the other one that I want to mention is because there are a lot of female, a lot of females who are, um, a lot of women who are, have found success as vocalists of symphonic metal groups. So, um, one, um, pretty big one is the Dutch symphonic group Within Temptation. Um, and, uh, their singer, uh, Sharon, Sharon Dan Adel, um, she's excellent singer. Um, so um she's uh, she's one of the uh she was a founding member of the group um has been the singer on all their albums um they started out as like more of a gothic metal uh, gothic metal group then they started to shift more towards symphonic metal um before like by their third album Silent Force were fully into gothic metal and then um they have like shifted back into some other styles, like for instance, Hydra um, was uh, 
there was some influences of power metal and some influences of gothic metal. But one that I did want to mention is because in so in their newest album, Resist, um, that one also there was um, it was there was some more politically driven lyrics in there, and that one I think is wild because a lot of metal groups tend to stay away from that. And there are a lot of symphonic metal groups also that, because progressive rock, progressive metal and symphonic metal, usually a lot of the lyrics, there's a lot of different routes that you can go with lyrics. A lot of times these groups, they tend to do like more uh, fantasy kind of lyrics based. So seeing like a politically driven one is, I thought was really cool. Um, and uh, the, so now, for um, next genre I want to get to is psychedelic music. So I'm getting close to done here, which is probably good because I've taken longer than I probably should have. And this is starting to turn into the Black History Month um, <laughs> one again um, with how long-winded it is. But for psychedelic music, a lot of the groups, a lot of early psychedelic groups were predominantly ma- white males. That said... Uh, there is a there is a woman who is at the center of the psychedelic of the psychedelic scene, and that is Grace Slick. She was the lead. Vo- well, there were multiple members of or there were multiple female members of Jeff- Jefferson Airplane. She was the um, lead vocalist of Jefferson Airplane, and. Uh, she was uh, the and she was the singer of uh, the of the psychedelic song that ended up being the first massive hit, which was "Somebody to Love." And then, of course, they followed that up with another mass <laughs> a next massive psychedelic hit with "White Rabbit." Um, but she really was essential in because uh, she wrote "White Rabbit." Um, so um and um so and i mean she, she which also end up being in my opinion might be the one of the defining songs of psychedelic music because of a uh, which is interesting cuz a lot of times with psychedelic music it's more like kind of subtle with drug references that one was just blunt white right white right in the open so and that one and it became this massive hit and is really just known as this um, massive song. Um, and while she did have a lot of commercial success with uh, future groups like uh, Jefferson Starship and Starship, um, her I think her work with uh, Jefferson Airplane is so important in the development of psychedelic music because they really were the first big commercially successful psychedelic group. Um, the so now I did want to mention um uh um another genre that uh it wasn't it wasn't really a big genre but I really like it especially like one group in particular in it um and that is shoegazing shoegaze so um shoegaze it's well um and there were two females that really were at the center of the genre 
the band My Bloody Valentine, incredible band. I would highly recommend them if you want to check out uh, shoot if you want to check out Shoegaze, especially uh, the album release of Soon. I would of from uh, the, well the whole album Loveless, but the album version of Soon in particular is amazing. Um, but two, um, two two of the musician, two females who have a uh, um were members of the band's uh. Actually, first they had because they did have Tina Turk and uh involved with uh their with uh, their first album isn't anything, but um actually no that wasn't their first album I misread this chart it was uh some of their early it was an early some of their early really like live albums demo albums um rather their first uh for their day each of their albums there were two women who while Kevin Shields was the leader of the group and the face of the group and really the most important part of the group probably um you have Belinda Butcher who is one of the guitarists of the group um and uh one of the vocalists of it um and I will say she's an excellent har- she's excellent at harmonies with uh, Kevin Shields um and uh then you also had Debbie Gooch, who's a fantastic bassist for that group, and really, I think the bass is, the bass parts are really underrated in shoegaze music, and in particular with My Bloody Valentine's music. Um, so those two, I think it's interesting to see that um, a genre that, while it wasn't necessarily big, still just seeing uh, um, her uh, those two being able to be, being part of the most important band in that subgenre. So. There have been several women who have been involved with uh, avant-garde music. One in particular that I want to mention is not just because of uh, not just because of her contributions with that, but also just her reputation over the years, and that is um, that is Yoko Ono. Look, my opinion, Yoko Ono has just been the most like mistreated musician and like the most and basically now she's known as the person who broke up the Beatles I strongly disagree with that one because I mean she didn't break up the Beatles the Beatles were it it was inevitable that the Beatles were gonna break up anyways even even if Yoko Ono hadn't been in the picture they they had been touring to they'd been together for like non-stop for set for like well touring for like four years five years and then by by the end by like the mid 60s they were hating each other already then Yoko Ono comes into the picture well they were already get they're already mad at each other so Yoko Ono I don't even think she expedited the process if you didn't have Yoko Ono oh no maybe it lasted they would have lasted one month more so I think that people have been unreasonably cruel to Yoko Ono throughout her career as a result of that um, but even still, she is a ta- she also is a talented musician on her own. She especially a lot of her recent albums have got garnered a uh, critical acclaim. Um, and uh, she it is it often is weird music, but like for instance, like a uh, War Zone and Take Me to the Land of Hell. Those two were um, were like critically were really well reviewed albums. Um, same thing with uh, Between My Head and the Sky. Um, but also with... Uh, she also was uh, in... 
Um, she also was uh, uh, heavily involved with uh, Double Fantasy with John Lennon, uh, the last album released in his lifetime, and uh, the Yoko Ono Plastic Ono Band, um, both of which have been, well, a lot of the time were critically panned, both of them have been uh, found a critical, like, reappraisal throughout the years. So, I think that's really cool to see that one. Um, and she really, and she really is a creatively weird musician, too. Um, once you're on that, there's tons of artists that I could discuss. Disco, I'm not going to here. Um, but really, I think most of the, probably, if I was to give you a list of the most important disco artists, probably 70% of them would be females, after the ones I would come up with. Um, also, I did just want to give a shout out to one, uh, Avant, avant funk like experiment electronic experimental group that had several females in the group and really is was influential for alternative music electronic music uh, a, and a lot and really just advanced a lot of uh, genres uh, ESG but the last artist that I want to discuss is Goldie and the gingerbreads so this it's a weird it's this is a weird choice, potentially, because they aren't a well-known band, necessarily. That said, they are important as hell. The reason that they are so important, they were the first all-female group signed to a major record label. They first signed with Decca in 1963, and then they signed with Atlantic in 1964. Um, and uh, they were, and a lot of, and admittedly a lot of, uh, what happened with them is that a lot of times uh, club promoters would uh, promote them as uh, an all-female rock group, which was a novelty at the time. But even still, like in the early 60s when they did that, but then they they uh, still had uh, they but they still had success. They had um, "Can't You Feel My Heart," "Can't You Feel My Heartbeat," which was a hit in the UK. Unfortunately, it wasn't a hit in the U.S. because they had the bad luck of releasing it at uh, the same time as, um, uh, actually just, ultimately it was released two weeks prior to it, a song of the same, a different song, or actually a recording of the same song, even worse, um, by Herman's Hermits, which were a much bigger band at the time. So it went largely unnoticed in the U.S. Um... But yeah, they um, they were really important in that, and really, I think without them, they were because it's sad that it takes a like one group to for people to not take to like people to write off as like a novelty thing before people start taking it seriously. But the fact that Goldie and the Gingerbreads were able to do that was really important. So that's all the artists I wanted to discuss there, and I know it ended up being a long-winded thing like my Black History Month special. I was trying to not to make it like that, but. Too bad. Did it already. Um, ultimately, the reason that I ultimately really wanted to do that is because there are several women who are massive in music. In particular, I chose a, to discuss many who are like unheralded, underrated, not as discussed. I did discuss some other major ones instead, but I think that really there are many women who have a massive impact in music. Various forms of music, especially 
I think it's most obvious in like punk music in particular, and like some alternative as well, and indie as well. But I think that it is essential to recognize just how important that many women are in various styles of music. So I truly don't think that I honestly believe that um for each of these each of the women I discussed, majority of them, if they weren't in music music would look vast, vastly different. So I think that their presence is often underrated, often unheralded, and could potentially go unnoticed. But it's they're essential. And my th- and me, even me just thanking them wouldn't even do the and rec- or recognizing them wouldn't even do the, the due justice that they deserve and will and should continue to deserve. Thank you guys for listening. I know this wound up being a long one. Um, I appreciate you guys sticking with me through it, though. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed talking a lot about it. That's why I went longer than I normally would have. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you like my Facebook page, Groupie and Harmony. Make sure you ch- also check out my blog, Feeling Groupie. Make sure you like my basketball blog, uh, um, Is Baller Trademarked Yet? And like the Facebook page for that. Um, keep an eye out for a blog post in the next few days. And uh, if I don't talk to you before then, I'll talk to you this weekend. Bye.